devour. Keep us from it. Show us your truth, we pray. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. Please be seated. There was a story that caught my eye while I was off about a man named John Damon. John Damon was just like anybody else as a young man. He settled in Chicago. He got married. He married a, a, a woman who had been divorced and had four daughters. She became a salesman. He relocated to Cincinnati. Then he moved to Miami. Finally, he got divorced. He met his second wife when he moved to Los Angeles. He was a foreign exchange student. And they had one son and one daughter together. They moved to New Zealand in 1992. They settled in Australia in 1997. He earned a good living. He took care of his kids well. Nothing, nothing would be spared for them to get a great education and to have good friends. But something happened. In August of last year, his son got a message. He didn't know who it was from, but someone was trying to contact him. The whole time that he had grown up, the son and the daughters had been told by their dad that, that, that he had been an orphan from Chicago. The message he got from this person he was talking to had tracked him down through something like 23andMe, through DNA. You see, the son had, had done the DNA thing, but someone had discovered a second cousin. After talking for a while, the person that contacted Mr. Damon's son fessed up. He wasn't really a second cousin. He worked for the U.S. Marshal's office. And they had been hunting for this person's father, John Damon, since about 1966. Because that is the year that, that John Damon and another prisoner escaped from prison. And when they escaped from prison, that's when he went to Chicago and the whole story started. That's actually when he changed his name. His name wasn't John Damon, his name was Wesley Arnold. And when he was 16 years old, after getting into an argument with his parents over using the car to go to a drive-in, he killed himself. And he completely recreated himself, apparently successfully pulled it off because he died in Australia as a free man. I want to talk today about who we are. And I tell you that story today because I believe that even though you may not have committed some great crime, and I, well, I've committed a few. I'm not going to talk about that today, though. But anyway, all of us, in some way or another, want to put on the mask sometimes. And even when we get that wrong, we need to keep at our core a knowledge of who we are through Jesus. 
And let's walk through the scripture today a step at a time. A man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, who was a ruler of the Jews. Nicodemus would have been upper class. Nicodemus being a Pharisee would have been a very conservative person. And for some reason, he is interested in this person called Jesus. You see, the Pharisees were the strictest, most conservative of the sects of the day. And that was what Nicodemus was. He was also a member of the Sanhedrin. He would have been very in touch with the theological questions of his day. Yesterday, I was talking to a friend of my son's, and his friend, she said to me, have you ever heard of, and she told me this confessional out of New Hampshire, it's a, a belief system out of New Hampshire, and I said very simply, no. Boy, that felt good to be able to say no. I didn't have to stand and explain, but Nicodemus would have known. He was in, in those circles. He would have understood all the winds of uh, theological thought of his day. And Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and he seems to be interviewing Jesus because he's concerned about, or interested in, I guess I should say, the miracles that Jesus was doing. I think he was looking to Jesus, if you would, for a revelation from God that would be new and exciting. This man came to Jesus at a certain time. He came by night. And he said to him, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher come from God. No one can do the signs you're doing unless God is with them. Now, for a Pharisee, this was probably the most courteous visit or, or, or communication that Jesus, or at least one of the most courteous communications he had ever had. So Nicodemus is not coming, like so many other Pharisees, with this desire to put Jesus down. He's coming at him. No one can do the things you're doing unless you were really sent from God. Jesus said, I say to you, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, for Nicodemus being so courteous, what I hope you also see is how abrupt Jesus was. Jesus didn't toy around with that and say, oh, thank you so very much. It's time for you to say that, blah, blah, blah. Jesus just simply says, you've got to be born again. And if you're not, you're not going to go to heaven. You're not going to see the kingdom of God. You've got to be, and he uses this phrase, born again, born from above. You've got to have a transformation internally that will allow you adapt to adapt to a new way of living. You can't just be born into the heavenly kingdom. You've got to be born of the spirit and then adapt, if you would, to the heavenly kingdom. And Nicodemus asked this simple question, how can this be? How can a man or a person, when they're born and they're old, how can they be born again? Are you saying we have to go into our mother's womb a second time? And really, you see, you know as well as I do that physical rebirth is impossible. But most of us believe as much that spiritual rebirth is equally impossible, or at least not reasonable, not feasible. It's hard. Jesus said, I say to you, unless you're born of the water and the spirit, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Now I'm going to throw three verses together here, six, seven, and eight. Because they have a thought that you need to see on the screen. 
that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The women were aware of this too. You hear it sound? You have no, no idea where it came from. You have no idea where it's going. That's how it is with those who are born of the Spirit. And just so you know, Jesus just destroyed, he, he wreaked havoc upon Pharisaism. He, he, the whole thing that Nicodemus was about, Jesus just killed it. Nicodemus, if you're born of the flesh and that's all you got, that's all you got. And Pharisaism, you know, being a Pharisee, that's all it was about, just being good enough. Jesus says, enters into the kingdom is not a true kingdom. You cannot just conform to a set of rules and get in. While we were on vacation, Janice's niece came and met us down there. She brought her kids with her. And one night, Janice and those kids are playing Battleship. This was by design. It was by intention. She brought several games of Battleship along. And if you've ever played Battleship, you know how it goes. You've got your sticks and your little pegs, and, you, and, and your, your opponent has it. And what they did was they mixed it up. They had four battleship games going but it was only one game at the time and they had two more and they wanted me to get in so we would have six of them going and all this b1 b4 and all that you hit you sunk my battleship stuff and i couldn't do it i said no i'm not playing by the rules nicodemus is saying to him what you mean my whole life everything i've done Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, you may have been born a Jew, you may have been born uh, by your genealogy into the, the, the history of Israel, just like I have been, but that's not going to get you into heaven. You've got to be born again. And, and this new birth, it's an act of God. And just like you don't know if the wind's blowing from the east or the west or the south or the north, and you don't know which direction it's going to end up or where it's going to, that is how God works. He doesn't function by ordinary reasoning. His ways are not our ways. It's unpredictable. But it is just as much undeniable. Nicodemus says, how can these things be? I want to tell you, I have always read this verse just the way you'd expect me to read it. You've known me long enough for me to understand how I would read this verse. You would hear Nicodemus, if Joel Agnes was Nicodemus, you would hear him saying, how can these things be? It would be like incredible, right? That's not what Nicodemus is saying. Nicodemus is saying, give me the recipe. Tell me how to do it. When Nicodemus says, how can these things be? He's saying, I'd like to know what the step-by-step -step is. Because Judaism doesn't offer anything like this. The way I've been taught, the way I've learned, it's all about the do's and the don'ts. It's all about the rules. It's all about doing it the way that the recipe says. Now, one thing you ought to remember, and we've lost this in Christianity, particularly modern Christianity, it is the memorization of Scripture. Now, sometimes you'll read a Scripture and you'll say, well, I know that's in the Bible, but I can't tell you where. 
Jewish folks, and in particular Pharisees, they would hear a scripture and they would say, I can name the chapter and the verse. And Nicodemus, the whole time he is listening to Jesus, I believe Ezekiel, the 36, is running through his head. You listen to this and tell me if you don't think it's so. Because Ezekiel was told this, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean from all your idols and all your uncleanness, and I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I'll put in you. I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh. I'll give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my law and be careful to obey the rules. You'll dwell in a land that I gave to your fathers. You will be my people. I will be your God. I think as Jesus is standing here with Nicodemus, I think Ezekiel's going, they kind of connect, but not really. I know what he's saying, but I, I just can't put my finger on it. Because Nicodemus, his whole life, his foundation in life was in those scriptures. If you were outside of Judaism and you became a Jew, in other words, you'd stepped into it, you would be given a new set of clothing. You would have been received by the people in a certain way. But if you were born into it, if you were a true Jew, an Israelite, a real child of Abraham and a child of God, you knew what made you a Jew was a covenant that God had established all the way back in Genesis 22. And Jesus is telling this man who understands his life on the basis of that covenant and doing the right thing or wrong, Jesus is telling him, that's not adequate enough. That's not good enough. You've got to do something more if you do this. It involves things like repentance and a new life in the spirit. And then an expectation that you'll live not by the rules in order to get into heaven, but rather by the rules because you're going to heaven. I'm not going to read all of this to you, but there's a conversation that Jesus has with some Pharisees that kind of encapsulates in a larger way what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. He says, I know, think about this, he's speaking to these Pharisees, I know that you're the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you at all. I speak about what I've seen with my father, and you do what you've heard. From your father. They spoke up and said, Abraham's our father. Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing what Abraham did. But you seek to kill me, a man who's told you the truth that I heard directly from God. That's not what Abraham did. You're doing what your fathers did. And they said to him, we weren't born illegitimately. We've got one father, even God. Jesus said, if God was your father, you'd love him. I came from him. I didn't come here on my own choice. He sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying to you? It's because you can't hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desire. He has been a murderer from the beginning. He has never stood in the truth. And because of that, there's no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of who he is. He's a liar and the father of lies. I want you to stop and think about what Jesus said. I mean, they picked up stones to kill him. Yeah, they, he 
you can say you're, you got the right birth certificate all day long. It doesn't mean a thing. Jesus answered Nicodemus, or rather Nicodemus, Jesus answered Nicodemus, do you mean you're the teacher of Israel and you don't understand this? Kind of like when Nate's friend said to me, <laughs> do you know about the New Hampshire Christian Festival? And I said, never heard of it. I mean, Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, do you mean to tell me that you're this old and you've been a Jew your whole life and you're a Pharisee and you're a member of the Sanhedrin and you've got the best education that the Pharisees offer and you don't know anything about this? You should have already known this, Nicodemus. If you're such a good student of the Scriptures, wouldn't you have learned this already and been responsible for it yourself? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know. Now, before you go any further, who's we? Because Jesus was there by himself. Is he talking about his disciples, just him? Or is he talking about he and his father? We speak of what we do know about. And we bear witness to what we've seen. And you don't receive our testimony. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Let's just stop for a minute and understand what Jesus is saying here because his language is so different from the way we talk today. When he says, I told you about earthly things, you just have to go back a few verses. Remember when he was talking about the wind? He's saying, I've talked to you about the wind, and you don't know what to do with that. If I tell you the really important stuff, the spiritual truths that God has given to me. If I tell you that stuff, you think you'll believe that? Probably not. Because you can't even master the simple things. I saw a meme. Do you all know what a meme is? I know some of you won't know what a meme is. A meme is a, a, a picture on Facebook. It usually has print on it of some type. And it's... Generally speaking, it's usually making fun of something. Not always, but usually. I saw one last night. It said, it said, it was a sign sitting in a field. And it said, garage sale. But the sign was spelled G-R-A-J. Garage sale. You got it? Garage was spelled G-R-A-J. And whoever posted this, some crazy friend of mine, wrote as they posted it, I'm guessing there aren't going to be many books at this garage sale. Jesus is saying, I I'm talking to you about the very basics, the ABCs of spiritual things. I'm talking to you simply about the wind, and you don't believe me. If I start to tell you the things that really matter, do you really think you're going to believe that? I've been to heaven. I've been to heaven. I'm telling you what God has told me. Remember I told you that Nicodemus was likely here with Jesus and Interviewing him, trying to learn something. There, there's a difference. There's a difference between learning things and having things revealed to you. There's a difference. I mean, you can learn the book about how to play a flute. You can learn the book 
But there are certain things that you just come to find out because you do it all the time. They're revealed to you. You, you learn that if you do certain things with that breath, with your mouth, with the way you hold it, Jesus says, you want to learn to do these things, but I'm going to ask you the very basic piece. And I'm not going to answer your questions like we're in an interview with a reporter here. I'm going to reveal something deep to you, and it's this. You've got to begin to do it. And then Jesus, with the final verse we read, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him may have eternal life. Let me see if one thing I want you to know for sure. Nicodemus knew what Jesus was talking about here. Remember in the wilderness, they lifted up that serpent. They had to put it up because the serpent was going through the camp and, and killing everybody because of their sin. Jesus says, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, and so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And when they looked up at that serpent in the wilderness, the very thing that could kill them was hanging on that pole, the serpent. And then, you know, Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. This was a reference to his crucifixion. The Israelites, let me, let me talk a little bit about them in this story he referenced before we get down to business. They were guilty of super disobedience. They were guilty of grumbling and being very unthankful. They were under the condemnation of God and they were being punished for sin. The item or the, 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 the thing that was lifted up before them was the very thing that was going to judge them, a serpent. Here's the most critical part. They couldn't avoid it. Get this, they could not rescue themselves. The poison of these serpents, there was no antidote to it. Jesus says, look at that snake that's been lifted up there and find life. Look at this verse I've got on the screen for you. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. What's Jesus saying? The Israelites had to look at that serpent to be saved. I want you to look at the Son of Man when he's hanging on that cross, and I want you to see that your life, your life is in that cross. Your life is in that person who's hanging upon that cross. We know, if you know the story of Easter, that he got it at one point, didn't he? I want to take you back a couple of verses for a minute. Look at what we, we, we've got up here right now, the 14th and 15th verses. Jesus is telling them he's going to be crucified. Jesus is telling Nicodemus, you've got to receive God's revelation to you and me, God's provision for you to cure your sin. You've got to place your confidence, you've got to place your trust, not just half-heartedly, but completely in that one that will hang upon that tree. 
any of you who know the Gospel of John right now, you know what comes next. How many of you know what's in the next verse? John 3.16. If you know that verse, raise your hand. All right. Everybody knows it, you know. And you expect me to take you there. I'm not going to do that. (laughs) I'm actually going to take you back to the chapter before right now. And I want you to look at what's going on in the chapter before everything we just looked at. Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast. While there, many believed on his name when they saw what he was doing, the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. I'm going to stop and give you a very bad illustration of what Jesus said. And, you know, twice in the message today, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do something I shouldn't do. One, you can just write off. That's right now. In a little bit, I'm going to do something you may want to call the district superintendent about. <laughs> right here, Jesus is doing a bunch of miracles. That's what this verse tells us. And everybody is coming to him and saying, oh, we love it because of the signs and the miracles he's doing. We are putting our faith and our trust in you. But notice what it says. It says, Jesus didn't entrust himself to them because he knew how people are. If you've known me for any length of time, you know I've got to trust you if I'm going to share anything with you. How many of you have realized that? Here's the reason why. You put yourself in the role that I'm in, you get burned. Time and again. The problem with the people that do the burning is this. They don't realize that I bite back. (laughs) But Jesus knew it not because he bit back. He just knew that they were superficially placing their faith in him because they saw him turn bread into a meal for a guy. They probably heard of him turning water into wine. They probably saw him take the hand of a lame man and lift you up and say, go and walk. They probably saw him spit on the ground and rub it on somebody's eyes that was blind and they could see. All these things, and they're saying, oh, the miracles. Jesus says, man, this won't last long. Because when you base your faith on the supernatural, you're not there. You haven't grown. You haven't matured. You're just wowed with what's going on. Look at this verse. He needed no one to bear witness about man because he knew what was in the people. Let's let's get the generic in there. He, he, He needed no one to bear witness about people. He already knew what was in the people. I want you to see the doctor this week. Actually, it wasn't the doctor. I've been seeing a doctor for about six months about a problem I have. We're not going to go into it. You're going to promise me you won't ask, okay? That's the rule. But he sent me to a surgeon. He couldn't deal with it. He said, you got to go see this surgeon. And I go to see the surgeon, and they put you in the most compromising position ever. I will not give you the details. I'll spare you the details. 
But you know how it is. You go in the doctor's office and, you know, any walks and you know, you know, it's going to be embarrassing. It's not going to be what you want to do today. I, I, am the, I am the worst patient in the world. You know when they say on the phone thing, when they tell you you got an appointment, they say come early so you can fill out your papers. I come two hours early so I can lay in the parking lot and cry. I mean, I'm, I'm out there praying, God, please take this from me if there's any other way. I'll fast for two days. I just don't like medical people whatsoever. And this doctor comes in the room, and I'm sweating bullets. And I'm sitting there in a compromised position. And I, what am I going to do? And he starts asking me questions. When did you do this last? How does this feel? What does that look like? You know, all those things. And what he got done, he said, we're not going to do this today. I don't think that's your problem. And I said to him, God bless you. I am so happy to hear that name. He understood what was going on with me, where my medical doctor apparently passed me. Jesus knew the symptoms of our lives, church. He knew that we're sinners. He didn't need anyone to tell him, Joel Adkins is a bad person. He already knows that. But what's so interesting is that these verses that I just read to you in the chapter before everything we studied today are just before these three things take place. I, I want you, I hope you're listening. It's just before he meets Nicodemus, a Pharisee. And it's just before he meets that Samaritan woman at the well just before he meets that royal official in Cana of Galilee whose house was near the point of death. In all those cases, Jesus walks up and begins to tell them. Remember that woman at the well? She, she says something about, you know, her husband. And Jesus says, yeah, I know you've had a lot more husbands than that. She runs back to town and says, you've got to see this guy. He has told me everything I ever did. That's the point. Jesus doesn't need to know about Nicodemus. He already knows. Nicodemus comes there thinking he's going to interview Jesus, and Jesus has already done the interrogation on Nicodemus's backside, and he's done it on you and me too. And this leads me to my bottom line. If you think that this means we're done, take a big breath. To know who Jesus is, you must first admit who you are. You remember Peter? We usually read this scripture on Monday, Thursday. It's in the book of John. But, but Peter is there at a meal with the other disciples, and they're eating with Jesus. And Jesus stands up from the meal, and he takes a towel, and he takes a basin of water, and he's going around the room, and he's washing everybody's feet. Remember that? And we do it because Monday, Thursday is Mandate Thursday. It's the commandment of God. And we say that Jesus said, you know, as I've done to you, you do to others. You serve others that way. But when he gets to Peter, is what I want to tell you about. When he gets to Peter, Peter says, uh-uh. He pulls his feet and he says, you are never going to wash my feet. I am not going to have you wash my feet. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you've got nothing to do with me. Peter says, 
Well, then not only can you wash my shoes, but you can be my head and my hands as well. You see, Peter had traveled with Jesus, had learned as a disciple of Jesus for three years, but he missed the most crucial point at this moment. And we all have this moment. We think that the most crucial point is to understand who Jesus is. And that is so very important. Peter thought he understood who Jesus was. Jesus, I, I think you are from God. I think you're so great and you're not going to wash my feet. But that's not what Peter needed to know. You see, Peter missed not the point of who Jesus was. Peter missed the point of who he himself was. And when Jesus said to him, well, if I don't wash you, you've got nothing to do with me. Peter realized, I believe, that's a fantastic comment. I hadn't thought of this. I, I clearly was going to follow him the right way, and I clearly was do the right things. But Peter now, my Lord, he's speaking to me. Sunday school, in Bible study, and we're trying to figure out who he is before we get a clear understanding of who we are. Let me tell you something about Nicodemus. Nicodemus is the poster child for the people who come to church week after week after week, month after month after year after year, believing that they're okay. But what Nicodemus really needed to do was take a close look at the scripture that was always at his fingertips. It was Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the sin of us all. That verse tells, tells you all you need to know about Nicodemus, all you need to know about Israel. That's all you need We don't focus on that piece. You want to know who Jesus is? First, we look who we are. First, take a close look at who you are. In Isaiah, that 53rd chapter, the 6th verse where it says, what I just read to you, everything before that talks about Jesus. But Isaiah writes right there in the middle of that, but this is who we are. We're sinners. We're just sheep that have wandered off the reservation. Not just a little bit out of the pack, we've gone way out of it. We have turned, and, it, and it's not something that just strange, but all of us have done it. We do it our own way. And all of that sin that all of us have committed, the Lord has laid on him. And look what he has to say about it. And the problem is, church, I believe today we're in a far worse place. Because not only do we not admit who we are, 
us is not only to lead in our own lives, but we can begin to tell God that we're someone other than who he created us to be. Years ago, I took, Janice and I took our kids to a debate tournament in Indianapolis. We stayed in a hotel, quite large. And what they didn't tell us when we made the reservation is that there was a fire truck that came up during that time. Everybody in that hotel was dressed up like Scotty, Captain Kirk. They had a big get-together downstairs, you know. It was fun to go down and just peek in the door and watch them. I mean, I don't even like Star Trek. These folks believed it. I mean, they had, the day I spend that kind of money on, you know, an outfit to say, boo me up, is probably the day I'll get booed up. <laughs> I've got somebody I know in my life who has gotten into this thing, I think they call it furries. Are you familiar with this? Where they dress up like animals. Grown adult human beings dress up like animals and go to have gatherings <laughs> dressed as animals. That is so foreign to me. I, I, you may think a dog's life is good. It is not that good. That's bug. When I'm eating steak, he's eating dog food. We can't be something other than who God made us to be. And what he made us to be, we rest when we sin. But we still try to utterly deny the truth of not only who God made us to be, but who we've made us to be. Isaiah 63, 6 and 7 writes, We are like sheep who have gone astray. All of us who have turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on Jesus our iniquity. You know, Paul wrote Isaiah 53, 6 this way. It will be very familiar to most of you. There is none that is righteous, no, not one. Not you, not me, not the bishop, not the pope. Not John Wesley, not Martin Luther, not a saint that's ever been named. There is none righteous, no, not one. And Paul would go on to tell us a little bit later in the third chapter of Romans 15, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short. Nicodemus, your Pharisaism and your legalism is not going to get you into heaven. There is none righteous, no, not one. And if you expand upon this, and I know I've gone a little bit long today, but, but I've missed you. And this is how I show you I love you. So just stay with me. Paul would write these words. There's none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one is even looking for God. We've all turned aside, and together we've become worthless. No one does good, not even one of us. Our throat is an open grave. We use our tongues to deceive each other. The venom of asps is under our lips. Our mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Our feet are swift to shed blood. In our path is ruin and misery. In the way of peace, we have not known it. Here's the worst part. That leads him to say, there is no fear of God before our eyes. That's how Paul identified who we are. No one understands. No one 
They use their tongues to deceive. The venom ash is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Their path is ruining their grief. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. What Jesus was trying to say to Nicodemus was this. Nicodemus, there's things you learn the truth about you that you'll never understand the truth about me. Most of us go through life believing I'm okay and you're okay. That's not saying I'm okay. We go through life believing that especially in this day and age that we have no place to tell someone the reality of who we are, who they are. And I don't mean here that we jump up in somebody's face and say, you're a sinner. I don't, I don't say that. But the good news of the gospel is not the good news of the gospel unless you hear the bad news of our situation. While we were still in that terrible state, sinners, Christ died for us. Nicodemus, remember that story about that snake that was lifted up in the wilderness? Everybody had to look on him through here. The Son of Man must be lifted up. Nicodemus, take a good hard look at yourself. Before you get there, That's my encouragement to you today. I think that I'm a good person. But I know that I'm a sinner. You do better than anything I've had said today is this. I know that I know that I know that because he lives, I can live also. Greater Let's pray together.